0: We're live. Hey, uh, Justin, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I'm excited to have uh, on. Uh, I think this is maybe the fifth or sixth episode. Justin Grimes, who's the managing director of uh, Kenny Bunkport Resort Collection in Maine, um, which I've had the fortune of spending time in Maine the last ten years, thanks to to my brother in law Mike, who was your former one of your former owners. And uh, if anybody listening to this has never vacationed in Maine, you absolutely have to go and you definitely have to go and stay at one of the uh, Kennebunkport Resort Collection properties. So, Justin, thanks for being here, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. And I, I couldn't agree more about Kennebunkport being a destination. We're, we're welcoming uh, of all of all folks up here, uh, both during COVID and post-COVID.
0: And it's so beautiful during the summers. One of the things I've always liked about it is just, uh, you know, and I think they do this. Obviously, they're very deliberate about this, but it's just not touristy. It's 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 native it's older it's you know really kind of the way things have always been
1: agreed yeah there's a level of charm and and sophistic- sophistication and you can really kind of you know find your niche for whatever you're looking for in maine whether you want that coastal adventure or something a little bit more inland there's a, there's a lot for everyone
0: well what i want to do real quick is just talk a little bit about how we met initially um and i may need your help through this I, how long have you been with krc at this point
1: so I've been here. This is gonna be my tenth season, um, in theory. I, I left for a bit of time, left for about two years to go work for uh, another hotel company, uh, Fairmont Hotels, and uh, I ended up coming back in uh, 2011. And so I've been here, been here since.
0: Yeah, and I think that we've been working together for what, maybe, maybe three, four years, something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to say this: my, the current role I have now, um, I started in 2017 after after leaving the properties yep. as a general manager and becoming uh, director of operations. So I think we linked up with you in two thousand seventeen and been working together ever since.
0: Yeah. And so again, just a little background for anyone listening to, to me, is like, you know, my brother in law Mike and his wife um, bought a vacation home. As a matter of fact, I think he initially bought a condo in Kennebunkport. And it's kind of an interesting I think he tells the story. Like he worked maybe he did something with airlines or something. He's originally from outside of Columbus, Ohio, he worked for an airline and he used to just get like free flights when he was younger. And he like ended up somehow ended up up in that area and went to Kenny Bunkport and fell in love. And, um, when he was more successful, bought a condo and had that for several years, which I, I didn't really know him then. And then they ended up buying, um, a home. And I want to say that was right around 05, 06. And then I think, I can't remember how shortly after that he bought his. He made an investment in um, what was the first thing that he bought up there? Was it the Cape Arundel Inn?
1: Exactly. Yep. Cape Arundel was the first uh, first property he purchased, and that was really. And then from there,
0: yeah. And then from there, it was now it's the boathouse today, but it was actually was it the landing before?
1: It was. uh, Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The restaurant as he bought that uh, and started developing it as the hotel and restaurant soon after.
0: Yeah. So I know that he <clears throat> you know, he had obviously been very successful and took some of the the resources that he'd had from from some other businesses and made some investments up there. And I think kind of if I'm remembering right, he went on his own for a little while, kind of just ran it on his own for a little. While. He had the marina too. I remember he had bought the marina cuz he's a big he loves boats, always has. Um and then at some point, and maybe you can help me through this a little bit, at some point he ended up hooking up with what would be his partners uh, with KRC and they all kind of came together.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. At, at the time I, I know he was operating Cape Rundle in, uh, as it was, had made some changes and, um, was really elevating that property to, uh, I mean, it's always been a premier property based on its location, but really was looking to elevate it from a service perspective and, you know, the, the, the aesthetic and the physical plant there. And then as he was developing the boathouse into, um, what it is today, which is a hotel and restaurant, um, is when he linked up with, with Tim Harrington, um, Mark Granitz and um, and Debbie Lennon and and that's when they started to form the uh, the KRC and uh, and really add to this collection of properties that we have today. At the time I want to say that was probably, what maybe the sixth property or sixth or seventh property that was coming online. And then since then, the the group of them um, added to the collection to to form a, a total of nine hotels and six restaurants over the course of you know really, you know, KRC has been a, a, a thing so to speak for ten years. Um, that was over the last 6 or 7 years.
0: So Kenny Buckport Resort Collection didn't exist prior to them coming together. That was like what the entity was that when they when they joined up, is that right? It
1: it, it was it was just before it started um, and then when Mike came in I think it was already KRC. but um, gotcha. but it was kind of in the early the early phases of of the resort collection being a being an entity.
0: Now, you mentioned Cape Arundel is and I've heard that is Cape Arundel in it is the only commercial like waterfront Piece of pro Well, I guess that's not true because there's a there's the big hotel down around the corner, right? So, but there's not a lot of commercial waterfront properties up there. Most of it's residential, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, for the majority of it is is private homes. Down um, some some buildings have turned into condos, but yeah, we're we're fortunate to have Cape Rondo and also the Tides Beach Club, which I think you might be referring to, which is the only commercial building on on the beachfront at Goose Rocks Beach. So we have some really unique properties um, based on how they're situated the way they look, the way they feel, um, but we're really, really fortunate to have these just kind of one-of-a-kind assets, so to speak, in this coastal area where most of it, like you said, is private homes or, um, you know, the, the Walker's Point, where the Bush Estate is, um, areas like this that are just um, truly one-of-a-kind.
0: Yeah, and so I'm curious too, like if we go back to kind of when you joined up and and, and Mike and his partners had it, um, what were, and, and so part of the reason I wanted to do this was just you know, there, I want to weave in some business stuff, basically just like, what are the challenges? And, and, and so when you, when you joined up and they were, it was pre, and we'll talk about the acquisition that happened recently, kind of just before COVID in a second, but tell me like, just even just educate me. I know we've done a lot of things together, but when you're running a, a collection of hotels like this, that are really like boutique hotels. So we're not talking about, you know, hotels that have hundreds of rooms. I mean, a lot of the hotels only have what, you know, in the teens or 20s of numbers of rooms. Is that right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Most properties have anywhere from 20 to 30 rooms, you know, and as a collection of nine hotels, we're just about 300 rooms, which is, you know, the, the size of a, a, a modest hotel in America. So it is it is interesting in the way in which we're, we're compiled to but not have a ton of total guest rooms or keys, as we call them, um, but uh, to be spread out across all, all the properties that they are.
0: So what are some of the challenges? I mean, you know, obviously, logically speaking, you know, you got hotels with lower numbers of rooms. So and and, and also given the area, it's typically going to mean a higher cost per night, per room and a much in a much nicer experience, obviously. What are some of the challenges, though, of marketing, you know, boutique hotels and just how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest challenge, you know, which is kind of a, a silly one to say is that there's just so many great options out there these days. You know, all of our properties at the KRC level, at least, are, are all in the same town, you know, in Kenny Bunkport. And people kind of joke and say, you know, you kind of have a monopoly on the town or, you know, really everything you have is right in the same town. And and it it's it's great for those who want to come to Kenny Bunkport, but there's also Camden, there's a Gunkwit, there's, you know, the Cape and Martha's Vineyard that is also a compelling destination. So, it's really about being different, differentiating ourselves within the market, both you know at, at a more you know local Maine level, but really we're competing against New England and the Northeast, and even to some extent West Coast or European travel. And that was something that kind of came out of COVID is that we realized that some of our guests are choosing between going to Maine, or they're saying this year we're going to go to Paris for the summer, you know, and take our family to Paris for two weeks. COVID obviously kept people a bit more domestic um, in terms of how they were traveling. But we are really competing with with premier destinations, and I, I think Cape Port certainly is one of them. But um, but there's so many great ones and great places to go. So we've tried to be a bit more you know dynamic and thoughtful in terms of how we craft our marketing messages. Um, really kind of harnessing that, like you spoke about, that Maine charm, kind of that quintessential quintessential feeling that you can only have when you're in Maine, and really harnessing that to to attract folks to come to Maine for the first time or come back to Maine. Um, there's a lot of tradition here where folks, um, even if you use Mike as an example, you know, we're coming to Maine, you know, frequently. They were either having a, a second home here or they went to summer camp here or they, you know, visited their grandparents when they were kids here. And that creates a tra- tradition where folks look to come back to. And we've capitalized from a hotel perspective of offering experiences that kind of have that, have that you know, nostalgia um, of, of looking for people to come back to something that they remembered, you know, at a, at a prior time.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, again, and we kind of alluded to it a second ago, you guys, whether you got a monopoly on it or whatever, however, it's the product. I mean, I know I've stayed, I think I've stayed at this point at the Port Inn. Um, I haven't stayed at Cape Arundel, um, The Yachtsman I stayed at, and actually I stayed at the Yachtsman prior to the renovation. Um, so it was a really cool place even before the renovation. Um, but it's beautiful now from the pictures that I've seen. But so you guys bottom line is you've got great products. Um, and that's one of the cool things And you talked about it as some of just the premier properties up there. And I think what's really neat is it's a lot of the properties. I mean, there are some new ones, but a lot of the properties are, you know, like Kenny Monk Port Inn is a very old, I mean, how old is that primary building?
1: Yeah. So that, that property was built in 1899 and, uh, and, you know, still has a lot of its historic vintage charm and, you know, characteristics to it. And certainly, with that comes, you know, its own set of challenges from just operating and maintaining an old building. But you, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of our properties are actually of that vintage. You know, Cape Rundle Inn, Kenny Bunkport Inn, the Tides Beach Club were all built in the late 1800s. Um, some of which actually burnt down and then were rebuilt. Uh, we have two properties that were in that situation where there was a large fire in this area in the 40s, and um, it it burned quite a few hotels uh, down to the ground and they were rebuilt. Um, but in the similar inspiration and design, so they still have that that historical value. Um, but yeah, we have a mix of new properties, but some antiquated, uh, you know, properties that that you know predate you and I by by some years.
0: Yeah. Um. Well. T- so practically, from like a mechanism standpoint, you know, a lot of us, whenever we book a hotel, really of any kind, you know, we just kind of log on and pull things up and we see availability, and you book it. But I've always been curious just about. The back end of that, like, do you guys, I know that I can book directly on, you know, the KRC website, which again, if anybody, you know, Collection.com, and we'll say it again later, but that's, and there's so many properties and we may not get to talk about all of them, but definitely go to that website and check out the properties there. Um, But how does that work just practically like on the back end? Are you hooking into like some sort of main system that's making that available on a bunch of different sites and things? Those are the types of things I'm curious about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. So we, you know, so all hotels kind of dial into a property management system or a PMS that we refer to, which is basically our books, you know, it's actually the the, the new version of the old school um, tape chart or or, or desk book that, that hotels had where they were writing hand, you know, handwritten notes on who was booking, which were much like a, a block on a piece of paper. So the PMS property management system replaced that part of it. And then that links into, um, you know, a central reservation system or CRS, and what that system does is it then pushes out reservations to our site and also any third-party channel that that we choose to link with or that pulls information from us. So there's a bit of a, a give take in some where we can strategically choose which platforms we want to market out to. There's also some third-party systems that will actually pull our inventory and resell it through their website. Um, things like Expedia, you know, TripAdvisor now, Orbitz, you know, name any of those. Those commercials you see on TV promoting travel agencies online—they're um, all pulling from that central reservation system and, uh, and creating the, the direct link with the guest. And so that's where we have situations where we pay them a commission, much like a conventional travel agent. You know, which is still very much a, a, a worthwhile channel for for sales. Is the you know people picking up phone and booking your flight and your cruise and your hotel with a live person, or now all of these online distribution channels. Um are so prevalent and such a big part of the business. Um, for us, being in the in the market where we are in 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 the the mix of business that we have, which is primarily you know leisure transient guests, we do a fair amount of you know the the third party business or the the OTA business, which we refer to as which is outside travel agents. Um, but it's not necessarily our bread and butter. Where it may be for more of a think of a hotel by the airport, you know that's just that's that's you know you're Googling. I'm either stuck at the Dallas airport. I need a place to stay, and you know the first thing that pops up is Travelocity and a hotel for a, a value price that is just a place to sleep, and then you fly out the next day. A lot of our reservations come direct and are booking either through our website or through our reservation office, which we have here in Kennebunk with live agents um, who are based here. You know, many of them from Maine, um, selling our collection of properties uh, in, in in real time.
0: That was going to be my next question was like, how much direct, direct booking do you get? Which makes sense because, you know, if I sit there and I think about it and especially your clientele, it doesn't surprise me that that clientele still probably works with travel agents because they're going to be a clientele in some cases that just don't want to mess with the headache in some, some instances. And they just have somebody that's like, look, we want to go to Maine. Where should we go and take care of it? Um, But then, so then it's interesting to me to hear that you, that a lot of your bookings are direct. So that requires then that you, that people are aware of you. And at this point, you guys have been around for a long time. So do you get a lot of repeat business or are you still seeing just tons and tons of people that have never been there before?
1: Yes, I mean we really survive off of the repeat business. That's probably our our biggest um, you know demographic that we're we're remarketing to and and just in looking to you know obviously retain through our customer service and through our marketing efforts and our pricing strategies as well. Um, but we do generate you know a fair amount of new business. Um, you know, and we and we 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 like to have them flow directly. We like to have them book through our website directly or all our agents and book on the phone directly. The real reason for that obviously is we can cut out the. third party and cut out the expenses associated with it and also typically you know you just imagine if you're booking direct you can control the messaging differently and you could argue it's maybe a a better truer experience in a sense Um, and through those relationships we we've really been able to you know have that repeat base be built Um, and then even when it is new business coming in we look to capture them once they're with us to convert them to be a repeat book but also a repeat book that books direct, you know. So it's a lot easier, obviously, to convince someone to book directly once they're already in your hotel than you know everyone floating around on the interweb trying to figure out what hotel they want to stay at. So, you know, if you're checking out, we're going to market to you and say, "Hey, Landon, you know, hope you enjoyed your stay. Would love to have you and your family back next year. You know, give me a call next time when you'd like to book." Um, you know, it happens pretty organically, but it's a real strategy of ours is try to convert as many bookings to direct bookings as we can.
0: Yeah, and I noticed, like, I know that I get some of the emails, and um, obviously email marketing is something that a lot of companies do, and, you know, like we are just starting to do. We've done some last year. We're starting to change it up. We're going to be doing more this year, and I feel like it's always challenging. First of all, you and I both, I'm sure, get so many emails, and on one hand, it's so noisy, but (laughs) what is interesting, I notice about my behavior, and I'm curious about yours, is while I do get a ton of emails, I do still pay attention to the ones that have my attention, I guess, that I care about. And so I'm curious, like when it comes to your email marketing and stuff, how successful has that been for you guys um, just j- in general terms?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, email marketing is, is really big for us. And and like you said, there's so much noise out there, but there are those those ones that get through and they they resonate with you or they stick with you for some reason. And, um, and there is booking behavior or, or at least interest based off of those those messages you know i think we've tried to be strategic with what our sell message is what our headline is you know what the what the cover photo is because you know with with the way that that media is these days you have such a short window and, and people are you know forgetful not because they're not remembering but they're forgetful because the next thing is coming down the pike right afterwards you know so if you think about especially social media like you know tiktok now or instagram or facebook you're just scrolling you know so you're you're finding the content that makes you makes makes you stick and so we try to take that same approach with our emails um however what it what it actually does is it really makes us realize the true value of social media and the fact that you know you can use that just as, as effectively as email marketing and uh, and try to you know kind of manage the two you know i i, I think about it from a perspective i'm on uh, as far as social channels go probably on instagram the most there's days when i realize i've bought things off of instagram ad Without really realizing it, you know, you you see something on your desk, and you're like, "Where did I get that?" And you realize, yeah, saw an ad on Instagram, and they knew they knew me well. They used the algorithm, and you know, they, yep. they sold me. Um, so we're also using that for hotels as well, because
0: I I have had the same experience.
1: Yeah, you know, the the pictures are worth a thousand words, or the you know, some sort of compelling sell message can be conveyed in a in a social media post. And I'm sure, you know, certainly for for you for your business, and 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 for you know, so many of the industries, you know there's so much interesting stuff out there and sometimes it's hard just to sort through all of it. Um, but you know, social media seems to dial up just what we, just what we want. So we're using that, you know, from a vacation and travel perspective as well.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like the retargeting stuff that goes on. I remember when I start first started kind of learning how that worked with pixels and Facebook and, you know, (laughs) it's, it gets kind of creepy sometimes, you know, you visit a website and then you're scrolling through your social media feed and, you know, you're like looking over your shoulder like is somebody, you know, <laughs> and, uh, Completely. Yeah it's it, it's very sophisticated these days. I mean, it's definitely, you know, you watch Mad Men and you see these guys like go into a boardroom and like pitch an idea and then they run some billboards and then sales go up and they assume there was a connection and everybody goes and, you know, lights up a cigarette and smokes or, you know, and, and, and pours a drink. It just doesn't. It doesn't work like that anymore, you know.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't. I I still pour the drink, but I uh, yeah. I don't do the rest of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, let's roll back. So, so what I want to do then is I go back to kind of I remember early 2020. Um, Mike and and his partners were and they were working on finalizing um, the sale of the company, and then that ended up closing. I think January is that is that right? January 2020.
1: It was uh, mid, mid, mid-February, mid yeah.
0: Mid-February, okay. Um, and the company that owns you now is called EOS, right?
1: Yep, exactly, yep, EOS.
0: And EOS has a bunch of other properties, right? So you guys are you guys have been tucked inside of a bigger company now that has pro- – as a matter of fact, I know I've worked with one of them down in Florida, Isla Bella.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. EOS has a great collection of properties. Um, primarily, they started on the East Coast. They just acquired their first property on the West Coast in uh, in Beverly Hills. It's a, a Viceroy hotel, the Larmontage Beverly Hills. Uh, but yeah, they had properties in D.C. As they were acquiring us, they acquired a property in Rehoboth Beach uh, called the Belmore, which is a really special spot. I actually got to stay there last summer. Um, and, and certainly they've, they've really benefited from you know, uh, obviously Biden being the president now and having a beach house just down the street from them, um, they acquired another property in D.C. They had an embassy suite that so they added to the collection, and then they have the two down in the Keys. They have uh, Isabella and then Ocean's Edge, which they they manage for an- another owner.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you, um, I've done like I said, I done a couple of things for Isla Bella and that looks like a just a beautiful place. But um, so, tell me about. I remember I was meeting with you guys I think in March um when COVID hit I mean it was literally hitting then and I still remember it was Friday the 13th I think actually that we met and you you were not able to be there I think at that meeting um because some things had come up maybe even related to that we went forward with the meeting I'm on a plane and I remember I was flying home landed in Baltimore my phone rang and my wife told me you know 14 days to slow the spread (laughs) um my 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 kids schools have been shut down. So it was, it was kind of funny. Like, I mean, I'm at, you know, at a meeting with you guys and your team, all of your GMs and everything was really starting to unravel at that point. And I remember that following week is when everything really started to shut down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. It's, I, I, it's, it's so funny to think about it cause it doesn't feel that long ago, but in some ways it feels like a, a decade ago, but yeah, it was that exact timing is when things really started to close in on us. And, know we were faced with having to shut down our restaurants and then eventually our hotels soon after um, and just and just faced with a a ton of challenges and decisions that frankly we've just never had to make before you know we're we're seasonal so we're used to closing properties but when we close properties we have a definite open date you know and it's simply weather driven or you know uh, infrastructure from a property that may not be winterized or there just may not be enough demand but um but that really challenges us in so many ways and and yeah, I think I had to skip on the meeting cuz I <laughs> I'm sure it was making one of those those tough calls at that time and uh and then things really started to to close in soon after.
0: Yeah, so like I one of the things I was curious about is and you mentioned it a second ago that you guys it's normal for you to close down at that time of year or be closed down. Tell me a little bit about what actually ended up happening. I mean, you guys closed and then I know um like like how long were you closed down and when did you even start a slow partial opening back up?
1: Yeah. So we, you know, we kept our hotels open um, as long as we were able to, which was really, you know, through, um, you know, right into April. Um, the the restaurants were shut down by the governor, I believe it was the end of March. Um, those were shut down for indoor dining. We were able to do takeout. So we, we had one of our properties, um, the boathouse, which we mentioned earlier, that we kept open for hotel and restaurant uh, takeout only. And we our decision was we're going to ride that property as as, as long as we can. We're gonna we're gonna you know obviously follow all the restrictions, all the safety guidelines, get our team trained up, make sure everyone was comfortable and safe, and 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 ride that as long as we could. And we did until eventually um, the governor required that hotels hotels shut. Um, from there, we were faced with a with just the biggest challenge in that we typically open our properties in May for the season, and you know we have nine hotels, six restaurants most of those are seasonal so we're typically ready to get open in april and open things up and onboard teams and retrain and and recruit um so we were actually closing hotels when we're about to reopen them um and that that decision of which properties to open and when was obviously based on our own desires from a financial perspective and you know operational logistic perspective but then additionally um you know the governor and and neighboring states were deciding who could come how could they come and what we could offer them you know in essence so it really wasn't until um june when we were able to reopen uh some of our restaurants for uh for in-person dining and then we were able to open hotels to mainers in that month but we really didn't decide to open our hotels until july um, we didn't open the t- entire collection this year we kept some properties closed um, we converted some of the properties and we mentioned cape rundle Lynn as well earlier uh, we converted that in into a uh, extended kind of long term rental for families and private estate rentals to take over the entire property. Um, in that it is, you know, historically was an old home, uh, kind of brought it back to its heyday. Um, but yeah, there was a multitude of decisions that we were making in real time, um, you know, pretty much through the entirety of the summer. Because once we were open, there was additional um, consideration by the governor of, you know, changing which states were allowed at any given time. Um, you know obviously there was capacity restrictions there was limitations to events which is a big piece of what we do so we weren't able to conduct weddings I mean every single day brought a new challenge and a new decision to be made and we just navigated it you know by um, you know uh, kind of a few tenants of deciding a obviously we wanted to offer you know safe but really attractive vacations to folks B, we wanted to certainly employ as many of our team as we could you know and then um, you know See just ensure that we're obviously going to be here on the other side of it and to make really smart business decisions that uh you know would allow for us to have you know the long term staying power that we 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 had prior and we want to have for the future
0: I think my my video froze I'm looking over here and, and if it did, I apologize, <laughs> but I'm still with you don't no, worry but I, I see, I see um, it. no it's good <laughs> um <laughs> so one question I had yeah, I know you guys bring I know a lot of your workforce comes from other countries um how challenging was that given Everything that was going on,
1: yeah, that was really challenging. So we bring in a lot of H two B um, visas um, for you know for our staff um, positions across the entire company, both front of house, back of house. Um, it's really our lifeblood. You know, seasonal labor is is easily the largest challenge for us as a, as a business operator, both in our industry and in in other industries, particularly in this region and other regions throughout uh, the country. We we you know it, it's so challenging. It's more challenging than anyone would imagine to try to find folks locally that, that would do housekeeping or or certain other positions that just maybe don't have the same, you know, cliche of being a, you know, a, a social media manager or being a chef or, or you know, being a hotel manager. So we bring in a lot of foreign labor um, and it's critical for us. So we were at this crossroads of having to bring in our petitions and deciding, A, should we, will we have the business where we'll need them? And B, can we? can they even get here? You know, a lot of our folks come from, from Jamaica, you know, how, how are we going to be able to get people in from Jamaica when their airports closed? Because Jamaica, when this all happened, they, they shut it down in, in and out of the country. Um, so we made, you know, we made smart decisions. We made, I think what ultimately it played out to be the right decisions because, you know, we were uh, sufficiently staffed this year and we brought in our housekeepers um, and we held off on a lot of our other petitions that you could argue, um, you know, we're just less certain, whereas we knew, especially during COVID, if we wanted to operate, we had to have the highest cleanliness standards. And so, you know, housekeeping was going to be a, a critical function. And so we brought our folks in, um, booked their flights, you know, got them tested when they arrived um, and, and, you know, and hope for the best. And, and frankly, everything really worked out. Timing worked out by the time they were here we're, hotels were, were starting to pick up speed at the end of July into August. And we maximized what we could for for the the second half of the summer and into the fall.
0: One question, too, is, and and you can get as detailed or vague as you want to be on this, but I'm just curious. I mean, you mentioned you guys are a seasonal business. You closed down for part of the year. But just in comparison, how much did you get impacted financially through all of this as as compared to a typical year? Was it an additional 20 percent, 30 percent? Just in general terms, I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, you know, it it depended. There it depends by um, hotel restaurant because there was it was. I felt that food and beverage was stronger, you know, than than hotels were because part of it is we always had that momentum with the takeout business, which which was also an area of growth for us. We weren't doing a lot of takeout previously, so that really helped on the hotel front. You know, we were probably you know about fifty percent down. Part of it because we lost you know precious operating days. You know, you figure. June still peak peak months, May brings a lot of attraction from Canadian travelers from the north. Uh, Memorial Day has a big bump. Um, so we saw about half of our business that we typically would um, come through. I think what's been, been most challenging for us as we look ahead to 2021 is just to, you know, we're building a budget as we approach, you know, fall and winter of 2020 and saying, oh, you know, COVID should be done by, you know, pick a date, you know, throw, throw a dart at the dartboard and see what date you want to pick. Um, I think the biggest piece will be how we come out of it and when we can actually be back to, to fuller form. And, you know, something you and I have talked about is just, when will that day be? I, 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 don't know that anyone truly knows, but I think for us, a lot of it will hinge on, on the weather. And, um, we're hoping that we have a good season that kind of offsets, um, you know, the reduction of business from from last season.
0: Yeah. And it's, and I mean, it's, it's funny. It's, there's, there's clearly some, um, uh, how do I say it? I mean, There's definitely some positive things happening that, that, you know, that I told my daughter the other day, I said, look, we're, we're closer than the, to the end than the beginning. And, and I know that's a vague statement to make, but it's, it's true. And and it's just like, it's not, if it'll be over, it's when, but it, you know, it's, it's been a long year and it, and it's going to probably last a good bit of, you know, 2021. And, uh, but I'm pretty optimistic for late this year, once you know several things seem to line up with vaccines and some level of herd immunity and you know just all of the things that are going on finally um, and i know exactly. we all long for that day
1: <laughs> um, yeah that's for sure <laughs>
0: that's for sure <laughs> so one of the things i wanted so so we'll um, talk a little bit about kind of the things we've done for you because you know we talked a little bit about Marketing and and the nature of the the hotels being kind of these these boutique hotels and how you market them and the challenges of operating them in the last year and um, another challenge I know that you and I have had as a result of having you know the 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 multiple properties is all the different branding and it it presents its own unique challenge in my space and the things that I try to help you guys with is it's hard to achieve economies of scale in a business like KRC because of the fact that you have each individual hotel with different branding and. that's definitely been a challenge, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's something I think you and I, you know, tackled early on and, and actually have been really effective at at doing and finding ways where we can streamline branding, you know, where where common logos or common looks or common, you know, just terminology for how we're presenting ourselves can, um, can, can be cross-utilized at certain properties and then other moments where, you know, individualized branding is, is more effective and, and we can deploy it, you know, to a different property. You know, to your point, I think the best example was that you know, again, it speaks to our our H two B visas. You know, these positions, but we're bringing in like line cooks and and housekeepers. You know, how do we how do we create a uniform that can be um, across you know multiple disciplines and used if they may work at one property or they work at the other property without having to keep you know a stock of you know two to three times the uniforms or um, especially with our seasonality, you know, uniforms typically tend to walk, or or they don't exactly come back the following year in the same condition they came in. Um, you know, so so finding those economies of scale, um, both from an ordering perspective and a minimum order, you know, perspective, but also um, to have a polished look and be professional and be of our standard, but not not cost us an arm and a leg to do so, and uh, and just logistically be a bit easier to uh, to deploy them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I know we've picked a couple of items like I think what you're alluding to is a few items we've done with just the KRC branding so that they're a little more versatile in terms of being able to go property to property and then, you know, doing the specific products for each each property. Tell me a little bit about um, just like kind of how you see branded clothing and promotional items in terms of, you know, their role with you essentially accomplishing the goals that the properties have. I mean, at the end of the day, they're just products. How do they complement and support what you guys are trying to to do with each, with the, with the properties.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's truly an extension of, of our marketing efforts. Kind of like we talked about with, with attracting new business, you know, having, you know, merchandise or swag or whatever folks want to call it, you know, you walk around the Tides Beach Club hat and if, if the hat looks really cool and if, if it tells a story, you know, and, and someone strikes up a conversation on it, it's, it's another chance for us to get in front of another potential guest or, or just to solidify that guest as a, a stronger guest of ours. So we we try to use as much promotional material, um, you know, retail merchandise as we can. Um, I actually, I think if anything, we can actually do more of it and, and hope to do more of it in the future. But it's really helped us kind of, you know, I guess create awareness out there, but also create that brand identity, which is so important. You know, our, our, our properties um, since the beginning of time have always been, high on aesthetic, you know, very attractive, very thoughtful in their design. Um, they look really just, you know, beautiful. And so we've tried to match products that, that you know, reflect that and and, and complement that idea uh, well. And, and certainly that's where you've come in to really help us, I think, level up our game a bit and um, those proper, you know, those, those, uh, those
0: products. I do know that the properties have to get creative with gift shops. I'll use that. Nobody sees me doing air quotes, but some of them, it's uh, when you're dealing with the old pro- older, older buildings like we talked about, um, it's interesting. I remember the first time I came up there and I was like, you know, I would have talked to somebody at the boathouse and they're like, yeah, we're buying this for the gift shop. And I came in and I, you know, ordered something to eat and I was like, you know, I'm going to walk over and check out the gift shop. And it was like, you know, a bookshop, I mean, the, the creativity that they have to use to create these gift shops is pretty good
1: it's true yeah these gift shops are often you know a uh, uh, early 1900s piece of furniture <laughs> you know not your <laughs> not your marquee in the uh, the airport or your you know your bodega yeah. in new york city um, definitely have been created with it. spaces of of the the a big concern
0: so tell me um, and I, I want you to be you know candid here like tell me what we you know as we've worked together for several years and doing a lot of things we just talked about what do we, you know what would you say we do well and what would you say Maybe we str- we've struggled with, you know, where we haven't necessarily met the mark for you on some things,
1: yeah. so you know prior to working with you, we were working with a local partner, um you know husband and wife owned and and they you know they provided good service to us and they were local, so they were you know right across the street essentially. but what what you've really brought to us is you know you you've professionalized that you know commerce for us and that transaction for us and it's on, you know, I know it's on your site. I know you've mentioned in other podcasts that I've listened to that you've done is, is you know, making it so that the products kind of brought to you. You know, you don't have to flip through catalogs. You don't have to to hunt through books of what you might want and then reach out about the pricing and then, you know, wait for the sample. And by the time you get the sample, you're maybe on to the next thing. You've really helped us cut to the chase, so to speak, I think, in, in sourcing the products that we that we want or that we don't even know we want yet. Um, and I know that's a big selling point for you and something you you really preach. Um, but that's been so important for us because it's an important area of the business for us, but frankly, we don't have a dedicated team doing this on our end. You know, it's a general manager of a hotel or a restaurant manager that's picking these items and, and to save, you know, the, the half hour, the hour of flipping through, you know, which we used to do flipping through those big, thick catalogs of hats and t-shirts and polo shirts. Um, you know, you've, you've just streamlined that process for us and brought it truly to us, um. I'd say hands down, that's that's the biggest way that you professionalized our our process of buying, you know, branded items and uniforms and and promotional products.
0: Yeah, and that's I'm, I'm always gratified to hear that. I know a challenge for us is always because there's so many things. I mean, just like it's overwhelming for a buyer how many things they can buy. It's just as overwhelming for us at times. And one, you know, you you mentioned previous part partner series uh well maybe you weren't referring to the partner series you're referring to some other podcasts but we also started a thing called the partner series and what that is is where we're bringing in vendor partners each month and letting them do a presentation and sort of a deep dive into the things that they provide but we're not just bringing you know curation is a big i think of something that we talk about a lot not only products but partners and trying to make sure that when we you know we don't just pick anybody to put on our partner series we bring them on because it's a company that we've sort of handpicked in a particular product category or categories, and that we're like, hey, we're vouching for these guys, essentially, and we want you to know the full breadth of what they do. Um, so it's always, you know, it's always good to hear that, that not only that the thing that we want to do is being done, but that people, you know, agree that, hey, not looking through a catalog is valuable.
1: Absolutely. You know, I mean, for us, I can think of the most recent example, you know, we were talking, you and I first started talking about Christmas ornaments. I think it was probably, you know, October, November. And then Stephanie, our senior marketing manager, got involved in the process as well. But, you know, it was as easy as just saying to you, hey, Landon, I'm thinking about doing an ornament this year. We've never done an ornament, at least not since I've been here. um, And you sent us immediately, you know, take a look. Here's 10 options. See what you like. And then from the 10, we whittled down to maybe three. And then within the three, we picked the one. And then We're already off to the races on designing it and, you know, and working on the artwork. So for us, if we had to flip through a catalog, you know, of Christmas ornaments, I'd I'd probably still be looking and we would have missed the window and, you know, that would have been that. So I think it just saves precious time that we don't even realize we're saving, um, but also ultimately getting us to the end point of a a better product, a product that's a better fit for us.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you think of any area where we, uh, where we really think we could improve? Cause one of the things I said about these podcasts, is I said, it's not going to be a customer testimonial where it's, <laughs> they just only have good things to say. So we definitely are always looking to improve.
1: Yeah, of course. It's all always sunshine and butterflies. I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, as I told you, I'd reached out or I'd listened to, um, you know, some of the other podcasts on here. And I, I, I heard you ask that question. So I knew you were going to ask me. Um, so not that I have a canned <laughs> response, but I was trying to think, Hey, what's the, what's a good thing to say. And um, I think, one of the gentlemen mentioned, which I, my comments kind of similar to his, was that you know if you don't hear from him to reach out, and it's it's not necessarily exactly that for us. It's more so about you know continuing to put products in front of us that we don't even know we want, but that we really should want. You know, there's you knowing the brand, our brand, the way that you do, and you knowing the availability of items and, and what's coming down the pipeline in, in, in your world. I think can help us be better. And sometimes we may look at things that we see as a bit of a risk, whether it's a financial risk, or we're not sure how the guests will respond to it. Um, I think the more that you put things in our, in front of our eyes that, and, and also help us to understand the application, I think the better, because I think we're more willing to take a risk. If someone like you, who we trust, you know, is putting your stamp on it or, or, or saying maybe effective ways that other people have utilized it. And I think back to um, the product, like the speaker that you had mentioned, you had put a Bluetooth speaker in front of us and, I think we're thinking, oh, that'd be great in the rooms, but you know, if we multiply that cost times how many rooms we need, but frankly, you're seeing everyone out there now with these branded speakers, or you're just seeing the speaker business, you know, the marketplace in general be, you know, really saturated with some great options. You know, I, I think sometimes we need to be reminded that it's worth taking a bit of a risk, um, and it's you know, and it's an educated risk. But um, I think the more that you push us into our our discomfort zone, I guess I'd say, uh, the better, uh, because I think from that we'll just become you know, uh, a, a better utilization of, of products for us, but also just build continues to build trust in, in what you're putting in front of us.
0: No, that's that's good. And I think that also confirms what we know. And that is, if we can do anything better, um, one of the main things that we can do better is, and, and I use the word merchandise, our clients, I don't know that that's the right way to say it, but it's basically like, make sure that our customers, you know, create efficient methods and processes within our company to make sure that our customers know what's available. And um, because sometimes, you know, I say this internally a lot. When you say that a big value is curation, um, one of the things you start to do is feel like you have to sort of create the solutions for your customers. And, um, you know, or, or, or maybe said differently, I need to understand the problem like you would and, and then come to you like, hey, not only am I showing you this thing, but I've even thought how it's a solution to a problem. But what I've learned over the years is no matter how, good a relationship i have with a customer i will never understand all of the problems or challenges that they have as much as they do and sometimes it's important for me and us to put the things forward because then you see it and you go oh that thing would be perfect for x which i may not even know about and uh so that's one thing we're working really hard on this year is between the podcast and the partner series and different things and our emails and stuff is just creating ways uh, and and then also the individualized things to creating ways to put that stuff in front of people so that they can look at it and go, you know what, that would fit this need that maybe Landon or Brad or whoever in our office didn't know about.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think I think we really you know are eager to eat, eat that stuff up. And and we we spoke about it even with when we mentioned the email marketing, you know. And and I've seen your the, the partner um, you know emails you've sent. And I think there was recently a coffee company that you had sent out. Yep. You know things things like that that just I mean. I read that email for maybe 30 seconds, but it stuck with me. It's in the back of my head. And so now I think, and even the podcast, you know, talking about the saltwater woody rum, you know, I got thinking to myself, hmm, that sounds like a product we could sell in one of our hotels, you know? So, so in all ways you're merchandising, whether you know it or not, but I think the more that you do it for us, um, the better we're served by it.
0: Yeah, no, that's excellent. So tell me, um, we're coming up on time. I try to keep it to 45 minutes or close to it. Um. Just give me a little, and, and we we touched base on this when we were talking a little before we started. But you know, looking to late rest of twenty twenty one, looking you know forward. Let's just, hey, we're just going to assume COVID's over at some point in yours and my lifetime. So let's talk about like what's the future look like for KRC as a part of uh, EOS? Am I saying that right? EOS. Uh, EOS. 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 Yeah.
1: Um, like like the sun god.
0: Just tell me a little bit about
1: that you know 2021 i think when it does come come together will be a a strong year for us we've tried to 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 get ahead of things so to speak in in the way we're doing things differently or any of our new projects that we have coming on and probably the best example of such is that you know we saw airbnb travel was a big trend of 2020 people liked you know accommodations that had private entry or ground entry um, you know, places where they could stay in and cook and, and kind of fend for themselves, for lack of a better, better phrase. And so we actually acquired and have added a property to our collection called Langsford, which is an extended stay, uh, short-term rental, um, you know, I guess say campus, I guess is a good way to put it. It's got nine, nine condo units, two three-bedroom homes, beautiful in-ground pool, you know, manicured landscape lawns. And it's, it's in this really cute little fishing village called Cape Porpoise. So you can walk to shops and restaurants. So adding that to our collection diversifies us a bit from having more traditional hotels, cottage resorts. This kind of more Airbnb model, um, you know, again, in air quotes, is uh, is new for us, but we feel like it's a way that folks are liking to travel. So without having something in the collection, we felt like this was a nice ad um, just to create another experience for folks. Um, I also think, too, it's going to be interesting to see just how hospitality comes back from a service perspective and, and some of the things that are just... Have been so intrinsic to hospitality or to hotel stays, which is housekeeping or you know front desk and check-in experiences. We believe that the front desk and the check-in procedure is going to kind of be a thing of the past. It's already you know it's 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 been moving that way for many years, but you know we implemented um, a text-based system called whistle that we actually do our our check-in procedure through. You can do video check-in through this whistle app. Um so we're trying to stay ahead of it even from a service perspective and a product offering perspective. To try to you know account for and be prepared for the way that, that that travelers are going to want to travel in the future because I don't think I think even when COVID is is hopefully in the in the you know the rearview for us I think this is going to forever shape uh, travelers' behaviors and so we're we're hoping to have products but also the service experience and the guest experience um, kind of modified in a way that if you want to go back to the way things were whatever that may be that's there for you but if you're adapting to this new lifestyle as well and the the way that things will morph. Um, we have, we have, you know, a service model that fits that as well.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. Cause I just said that I was talking to my wife the other Rebecca, the other day. And I said, mm-hmm. I said, you know, it definitely is a sort of don't throw the baby out with the bathwater situation where, you know, there are definitely some things that have come about through COVID that I've even had times when I'm like, you know, why haven't I been just checking in and getting a text message when my table's ready? You know, when I go to Texas Roadhouse for years, you know, why have I been <laughs> waiting in the waiting room? You know, yeah. Um. so, there, there, you know, there's definitely things here and there where you're like, you know, this isn't all bad. You know, sometimes really tough situations bring about some improvements that will stick regardless of what's going on. And um, I think that's true in hospitality. that's definitely going to be true in hospitality also. So.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, our business has always been, particularly because of our seasonal front of that saying of you know making hay while the sun shines. But it's 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 a it's a more macro item now of of really looking at how do we make the most of this experience, so what do we learn from this, and why do we make sure that this wasn't just a a squandered year for for many folks, and how do we come out of it better um, and, uh, and and just continue to to you know develop our offerings so it's appropriate for the times, but compelling for our
0: for our potential and and, and current guests. Yeah. I, um, I'm excited for the future for you guys. Uh, I think that, um, EOS seems like a great partner as you've, as you've mentioned. Absolutely. And then I also, I also think that your portfolio, you know, kind of for, I guess, trying to think of the way to say it, I think your portfolio lines up pretty well with tra- how travel habits are, are, are kind of trending. And, um, so I just want to, you know, we're right up against it on time. And I, I've always said, I want to be very respectful of that. So I want to tell you that, I appreciate you spending this time with me and, and obviously I've appreciated, um, well, I just like you personally. I have from the time (laughs) we met and I, I enjoy us working together and I, and I appreciate all the opportunities you've, you've sent to me over the years. And, uh, so yeah, thanks again for your time, man.
1: No, of course. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure to be a part of this and it's a, it's a pleasure to know you as a friend and as a colleague in this business. And, um, we, we appreciate everything that you've done for us over the years and obviously very thankful for Mike to, to bringing you into our, into our business circle. so. Uh, couldn't be more thrilled. And, and, and i say thank you to you the same.
0: Yeah, man. Um, so I just want to reiterate for those that listen and Kennybunkportresortcollection.com uh, is where people can go and check out all the properties, uh, including the new properties like the Langsford. I've got it up on screen and it looks beautiful. Um, and then e- I think it's EOS Investors if people wanted to zoom out a little bit further and see all the properties that EOS has invested in, including the ones in Florida and other locations, correct?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, all worthwhile to take a peek at. And and I suspect both both those portfolios will just continue to grow.
0: Absolutely. All right, man. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, Lenin.